Last night's Democratic debate was an unmitigated disaster. And I'm pretty sure I said those exact words after the other Democratic debate last week. But it's true. Many people are calling it a raging dumpster fire. Tons of media outlets are saying it was horrible with Democrats shouting over each other. No one getting out cohesive points. Bernie Sanders defending Cuba, causing absolute chaos for the Democratic Party. Look, the Democrats have been in a state of civil war for some time now with the insurgency campaigns of far left candidates and people like Bernie Sanders. So we know that they're freaking out. And I'm not sure how many more videos I can make because every single day a new story comes out about how Democrats are panicking and chaos and freaking out. And the only one who seems to act like everything's okay is Nancy Pelosi, who quite literally says Bernie Sanders is fine. This is fine. Just like that little dog in that comic where the fires are raging all around them. Well, following last night's debate, Donald Trump is gloating, saying, just give me an opponent, saying it's chaos, and they were all miserable. Some writers are now questioning why the moderates won't just drop out, all thinking they're the saving grace of the Democratic Party. But I think they're actually doing this to stop Bernie Sanders, which says to me, they are prepared to lose November 2020 to Donald Trump if it means stopping Bernie Sanders. And a lot of people seem to recognize that. As of right now, Donald Trump's approval rating is higher than it has ever been in the aggregate, no less. So I have to talk about how, oh, right now, you know, Donald Trump's approval rating is is this high. But after his inauguration, it was 46 percent in the aggregate. Today, it's 46.3. It has never been higher. There's a new poll from Esmusen saying that Trump will crush Bernie in a head to head head to head matchup. The economy is booming. And as I stated this morning on my second channel, I think Americans aren't paying attention to any of this. The only people who care about this right now are culture war people and politicos like us. The regular people don't care what Democrats have to say. And that's why voter turnout is kind of meh, just not coming out real well for most people. Bernie's not lighting up new voters. The Democrats know he's bad for them and they will stop at nothing to prevent him from winning. So here's what we'll do. First, we'll take a look at how Donald Trump is gloating. And I got to say, rightly so. We'll take a look at some of this debate, uh, debate performance and why I think these moderates are actually staying in. I think they're trying to stop Bernie by any means necessary. And I'll wrap up with some of the outrage from the establishment and how some people are pointing out Trump is going to win. Now, listen, as if you needed another video from me talking about how Democrats are in chaos and how Donald Trump is going to win. I don't know how many times I can say it. I really don't. But every day, that's the news. I have these stories from a couple hours ago, from today, from just last night, and they're saying the same thing we're hearing over and over and over again. I can't tell you why other than it must be true. The Democratic House is on fire. Donald Trump is laughing and twirling his cane all the way to re-election, and there is nothing anyone can do to stop it. The Democrats are too concerned about putting the fire out in their own house to be able to do anything. So Trump's going to win. I mean, maybe not. Maybe the hubris will hold him back, but let's read. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's several ways you can give, but the best thing you can do, share this video. Maybe this is the 800th time I've made the same video, but with the latest news updates. So at least that's fair, right? But but maybe some people haven't seen me talk about it yet and you want to share it to help me grow my channel. But also around 30% of, uh, 30% or so of people who watch my videos don't actually subscribe. And you should, if you like the videos, click the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, and you will get more videos like this because YouTube's actually suppressing political commentary and funneling all of the people who watch me to Fox News. So if you think I'm better, 
subscribe, hit the notification bell. Let's first read about Trump taunting the Democrats, which admittedly isn't the most important news, but I do think is important as we talk about the context of why the Democrats are actually sabotaging themselves, sort of, in an effort to stop Bernie. Fox News reports President Trump on Wednesday taunted the Democratic presidential primary field for their crazy chaotic debate in South Carolina the night before, ripping into the major candidates and pleading for them to just give me an opponent. Crazy, chaotic Democratic debate last night, he tweeted. Fake news said Biden did well, even though he said half of our population. (laughs) Joe Biden actually said 150 million people died since 2007. That's insane. Anyway, then Trump goes on to say, Mini Mike was weak. Biden really said that. I'm not kidding. He says, Mini Mike was weak and unsteady, but helped greatly by his many commercials, which are not supposed to be allowed during a debate. Pocahontas was mean and undisciplined, mostly aiming at crazy Bernie and Mini Mike. They don't know how to handle her, but I know she is a chalker. Steyer was a disaster who, along with Minnie, are setting records in dollars per vote. Just give me an opponent. He literally just calls Mike Bloomberg Minnie. That's it. Trump was responding to Tuesday night's debate ahead of this Saturday's, uh, Saturday's primary in South Carolina and next week's Super Tuesday contests. One by one, he took shots at former Vice President Biden, Bloomberg, Warren. We get it. He started with jabs with a reference to a debate gaffe by Biden. Yeah, we don't need a play-by-play of the tweets. Thanks, Fox News. But Trump is gloating and for good reason. Take a look at this job approval rating. 46.3%. This, was a, this is an archive I just, uh, I just saved. It is the highest Trump has ever seen. And in a new poll from Rasmussen, Trump thumps Sanders in head-to-head matchup. You see, the Democrats are in absolute chaos for a variety of reasons. The insurgency candidacy of Bernie Sanders, but the overzealous nature of the progressives who are just being led by the Pied Piper of Sanders' free everything campaign into a trap. It's happened before with McGovern and Richard Nixon, and I've talked about this. Bernie Sanders says, I don't know how we'll pay for it, but you will get free health care in college, and it can't be done. You know, people talk about, but Denmark does it. Well, Pete Buttigieg made a good point. Denmark didn't abolish private health care. So, so no, these other countries in Europe have private systems. These are radical positions that won't work. Unfortunately, a large group of Democrat voters who don't really pay attention are hearing these things and saying, I'll take free stuff. And there you have it. The Democratic Party knows it can't be done. They know you won't win on it because there are a decent amount of Democrats, most probably, who are like, that's dumb. You can't do it. It won't work. But now we can see the results in the prediction models for what happened after last night's debate. And I think it's fair to say even the algorithms agree the Democrat, the the Democratic Party is just a house on fire. It is the chaos doesn't even describe the sheer absurdity of what's happening. So Bernie Sanders and no one, I I kid you not, quote, no one have been bouncing back and forth for the top position of who wins the Democratic primary. See, a lot of moderates are running right now and they're splitting up votes. But let me explain that in a second. Bernie Sanders was predicted to win yesterday. After his debate performance, no one is predicted to win because they are in sheer chaos. And I saw this op, this, this opinion piece in the Washington Post, and I got to admit, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> it's, I, don't, I don't understand what this woman's trying to say. It says, we must stop Bernie Sanders, and I see no path forward but for my opponents to drop out. Now, I think the article's kind of dumb, but I can respect the sentiment. You see, you got Steyer, Bloomberg, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, all saying, you all should drop out so that I get your votes and I win. 
What this woman for the Washington Post doesn't realize as she writes this tongue in cheek article saying everyone else should drop out and I should remain because they're all doing that. What she doesn't realize is that what the Democrats are doing is on purpose. They are they're absolutely sabotaging their own party to weed out Sanders and his progressives, and they know they will lose. That's my opinion. That's what I'm seeing. But I'll explain why. See, this Washington Post article is kind of a surface level view of what's really going on thinking. It's a bunch of hard headed, you know, moderates who refuse to back down and it's splitting up the centrist vote. Let me explain what's really going on. Take a look at 270 to win. They say there are 3,979 pledge delegates in 2020. It will take a minimum of 1,991 to win the Democratic nomination on the first ballot. 771 automatic delegates, superdelegates, will not participate on the first ballot unless the nomination is uncontested. This is, a, this is a significant change from 2016. The map below shows the number of delegates each state will send to the Democratic convention. You can view pledged or total delegates, click a state, yada, yada. So on the second ballot, you need 2,375.5. Do you get now why these moderates aren't bowing out? We can see here on the forecast model that you need a certain amount of delegates to pass. The reason no one is number one is because Bernie is going to come in just shy of 1,991. Now do you get it? With Elizabeth Warren, Biden, Buttigieg, Klobuchar, and all these other Democrats in the race, they know they're not going to win. But if if they can take away just a tiny fraction of Bernie's votes, he won't cross that line to get enough delegates to win. And then the super delegates can vote for Bloomberg or Buttigieg or whoever it is they want. If Bernie doesn't come in, then the super, super delegates can, can shift things. So I don't know exactly what's going to happen. It may be contested. I think if it's a contested convention, people might be able to vote for whoever they want, but it doesn't matter. This is giving a huge opportunity to Bloomberg, who has been planning this the whole time. Politico reported Bloomberg has been meeting with people behind the scenes to actually plan for a contested convention to steal it from Bernie. Bloomberg won't beat Trump, but he will be. He can. He can beat Bernie. I don't know if he will beat Bernie, but he can. But it's not just uh, that. Now, now we move on to this. It's actually pretty interesting news. The, one of the reasons why I think the moderates are staying in for this reason is because of all the other efforts we've seen from the Democratic Party. And they're I mean, they cheated in 2016. Why wouldn't they do it again? The establishment does not want a socialist to take over. They know they can't win. And Bernie Sanders actually defended on the debate stage what he said about Cuba now tripling down. And so here's what we get. Two Florida Democrats are suing to keep Bernie Sanders off the primary ballot. They want him out. Their argument, in my opinion, is actually kind of sound. What they're saying is that Bernie Sanders is currently an independent in the Senate. He is not a member of the Democratic Party. Therefore, he can't run as a Democrat. The Florida Democratic Party disagrees. They're actually saying, no, let's read a little bit. They say in a lawsuit filed Monday in circuit court in Leon County, the plaintiffs ask that Sanders be disqualified from the Democratic primary because he's a declared independent. The Florida Democratic Party's labeled the complaint ridiculous and the Sanders campaign called it spurious. The complaint also seeks to prevent state election officials from counting any votes Sanders has already received. More than 244,000 Democrats have already voted by mail in Florida. Karen Guyvers, a former circuit court judge representing Frank Bach and George Brown, both Tallahassee Democrats, said Sanders should not be allowed on the Democratic ballot. Sanders caucuses with Democrats in the Senate, but lists himself as an independent. 
and has raised money in a Senate campaign account as an independent, according to the lawsuit. Florida is a closed primary state, yet here we have someone who is an independent on the Democratic ballot. You can't be an independent and be a member of the party. I actually think that makes sense. You know, now now that I read it, like, you know, I see what they're saying. If Bernie Sanders is raising money and saying he's an independent, he's actively independent, declaring it independent, and they're a closed primary state, well, I don't think that's really fair for him to be running. But not, not that it really matters. That what's really going on and, and whether or not he'll win, it has to do with the comments that he made on Cuba defending Fidel, Fidel Castro's literacy programs, which were actually re-education programs, but sure, literacy programs, which has caused uproar in Florida. Now, I talked about this yesterday. If you want to check that out, it's on my channel. I'm not going to rehash most of this. Suffice it to say, the Democrats are absolutely in chaos. And I know I've said it 50 million times. Bernie from Fox News, Bernie Sanders rattled by debate crowd pushback on his praise of Cuba. Frank Luntz said Bernie Sanders tripled down on his defense of, of the good things he says about dictatorships. And he started getting booed and he seemed taken aback. He, and, and this is to me shows the completely just how out of touch Bernie Sanders is. He was shocked to find that people don't like it when you praise dictatorships. What world does this man live in? Well, he honeymooned in, in Moscow and he praised the Soviets back then. He praised China a few months ago. He praised China again. He's praising Cuba. And of course, he's saying, I denounce authoritarianism, but they did do some good things. And lo and behold, people are upset by it and booing him. And he's surprised to see it. Now, I did mention this, but I want to move now into how I think why I think Donald Trump's going to win. Look, I know you've probably heard, heard me say it a million times, but there are some more developments as we're coming off of this debate. First, as I mentioned uh, earlier, or for those in the podcast, it's going to be in reverse order. You Google search debate disaster, and there are a ton of articles all saying the same thing. South Carolina was an unmitigated disaster. But this brings me to Donald Trump winning back never Trumpers. See, the never Trumpers are a contingent of establishment Republicans who were excised from the party because Trump's the populist. They then joined the ranks of the Democratic establishment to prop up a crony elite and now that's not working either. I am going to laugh and I am already getting my popcorn ready for when these never Trumpers come crawling back to Trump in fear of socialism. But I love this. I, I love this thing. I Googled, I, I Googled never Bernie. This is what comes up. NY Mag on the 14th of February says why there is no Democratic never, never Bernie movement. And just below it, it says the never Bernie apocalypse is coming. Dem insiders warn and never Bernie Sanders Democrats race to make up for lost time. February 1st, both of those stories came out. The media is fractured too, but the pro-Bernie people are pretending like there's no never Bernie movement, and there is. Democrats are never Bernie Democrats. They are moderates. They do not want a socialist, and they are fleeing, unfortunately for Bernie Sanders, to Donald Trump and the Republicans and the never Trumpers are going to come crawling back crying, except for like Joe Walsh, if you know who that guy is. He was like, well, never Trump means never Trump. So I guess I'll vote for the socialist. And a lot of people are rolling their eyes like, dude, really? You, really? So here we can, well, I, 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 I'll say it for the hundredth time. This is a story from Politico, but there's a quote I wanted to read. Sanders send, sends Democratic establishment into panic mode. In 30 plus years of politics, I've never seen this level of doom said one prominent centrist Democrats, which I wanted to highlight because I want to show you that there really is a never Bernie movement. 
Now, of course, as the Washington Examiner says in this story, never Bernie movement failing miserably. That's right. They're trying. It's not working. But the convention is still a few months away and we will see what happens. I also want to point out as an aside, we are four months out from the primary race in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's district. It's going to be huge. If you're a moderate Democrat and you do not like what she is doing and you don't show up for this and she wins, it sends a powerful message. The far left is taking over, has taken over, and is going to gain more ground in the future. But if the moderate Democrats show up and vote Ocasio-Cortez out in the primary, then she's done. She's gone. The moderates come back in and she is out of Congress. The squad will be shattered. We'll see what happens uh, during, the, during, uh, during the Democratic National Convention with the nominating process. But this is different. It's not a real election for the most part. The DNC is a private organization. They do whatever they want. It's going to be interesting to see who wins against Donald Trump come November. But I do believe that Donald Trump is going to win back the Never Trumpers. One of the reasons Democrats are so shocked and adamant about Bernie Sanders, about, uh, adamant about removing him, is that of course, never Trumpers will go back to Trump. Of course, never Bernie Democrats will go to Trump if it is Sanders. Sure, Sanders can light up a fringe faction of Twitter activists, but Bernie was shocked. The audience booed him when he praised dictators. He clearly has no idea what's going on. He has invigorated uh, active Democrats, but not new voters and not moderates and not independents. They're going to vote for Trump. The Washington Examiner writes, against Bernie Sanders, GOP could persuade never Trumpers by acknowledging Trump's faults. If they finally give a little bit and start saying, look, we know Trump is bad in these ways, we'll do better. I think they're going to win the moderates. I think they will easily win the moderates. So that, that, that should be obvious. The week we see uh, from, from theweek.com, we see this story. Just how risky is it to nominate Bernie Sanders? Well, they, they basically make this, this, this point. Uh, they, they, open the, they open the article by saying, Democrats are freaking out that Bernie Sanders, the tentative frontrunner for their party's nomination, may not only lose to Trump in November, but also reverse their midterm election gains in the suburbs. The latest bit of evidence is an internal poll circulated by rival Michael Bloomberg's campaign suggesting just that. Bloomberg internal poll claims Bernie would sink down ballot Dems. They're not just going to lose the presidency. They will lose literally everything. Now at the debate, this, this one's kind of funny. Michael Bloomberg actually said he bought the Democrats. He did. He said he bought the, the 40 or so Democrats that won and flipped those Trump districts. He's like, I bought, uh, I, I got them. And then he got dragged for it. This is what the Democratic Party has, be- has become. I'm sorry. And you know, you can, you can rag on Trump. You can hit him all you want. But the Democrats are a, a blob of chaos and corruption. Michael Bloomberg accidentally saying he bought the Democrats. He's buying his way to the debate stage. They have nothing sound to offer. And the best unity they can muster is this tiny fraction of fringe far leftists rallying around Bernie. And Bernie's a candidate who doesn't understand why he was booed for praising Cuba. How is he supposed to win 65 million plus people? I think Trump's going to get 40 plus states. We'll see. But we can see. Don't take it from the political world. Let's step back for a second. From Fox News. Shark Tank's Kevin O'Leary tells The View, a host, that Trump will win re-election due to, un- to low unemployment. And he says that it's, it's not even about, you know, being pro or con. He says, look, I'm not pro-Trump. I'm not pro or con anybody. I'm just saying I'm an investor. I have to think about policy. And I think the chance that Bernie is going to turn this country into a communist country is zero. But he goes on, he, he basically says, in history, 
Actually, let me start from the top. Here's the quote. Shark Tank investor Kevin O'Leary predicted on Tuesday that President Trump would win. In history, there's never been in modern times ever a president of either party that's ever lost their mandate when unemployment was under 4%. Uh, Now, listen, I don't think, you know, he says, I also don't think Bernie's going to turn this one into a communist country. Okay, we get it. But this is the point I was making uh, earlier. In order for people to pay attention to politics, they have to be concerned about political issues. Most people don't want to be. They want to wake up, go to work, make money, and, and focus on their hobbies and their passions and their friends and their families. When the economy is bad and they're wondering why they can't get what they need, they freak out and they turn to politicians. And all of a sudden you see Democrats pop up, offering, you know, whispering sweet nothings into their ears. Democrats like Bernie Sanders saying free college, free health care, cancel student loan debt, all these magical things that he's going to bling into existence just with the magic wand. It won't happen. He talks about his wealth tax. Him and Warren love to lie about this because either I can't imagine they've never read a single piece of paper talking about a wealth tax, but on, on the surface, it literally makes no sense. Look, I'm not an economist, but here, here's their plan for the wealth tax. Here's what they say. If you've got, you know, Jeff Bezos with $130 billion, then he has to pay $7 billion a year. The problem is his net worth is based on stock and other, another uh, hard, hard assets that he doesn't, he doesn't or can't liquefy. How will he pay $7 billion? Not only that, how will you pay for these programs of the wealth tax if you tax the wealthy out of existence? On the surface, it makes no sense. They are promising things. They don't even know what the cost will be. And I think Warren actually criticized Bernie for this too. In a 60 Minutes interview with Anderson Cooper, he says, oh, I I can't tell you all the nickels and dimes. I don't know for sure. How are you going to actually implement programs? You know what they cost? Could you imagine if like your roommate was like, hey, you want to go to the store and buy a widescreen TV? Maybe. How much does it cost? Split it with me and we'll buy it. And you're like, wait, but I don't know what the cost is. What if I don't have enough money? Don't worry about it. We'll figure that out later. And then he goes and buys it on a credit card and you have no idea how much you owe. That literally makes no sense. So yeah, Donald Trump is probably going to win for everything that was said earlier. And he's laughing about it. I don't look, you know, every day the news comes out and they say the same thing. I, I, I ask you, I ask for your forgiveness. This story from Politico, just a few days ago on the 23rd, Sanders sends Democratic, Democratic establishment into panic mode. Gee, that sounds familiar. Sounds like the title of half a dozen of my videos in the past month. We had the war, it was one, there was one of the worst weeks Democrats ever faced following the impeachment acquittal. And they were freaking out and in full-on panic. Democrats were quitting the party. Pelosi ripped up Trump's uh, State of the Union speech. It was sheer panic. And since then, I've actually just fallen into this hole where it's like, well, every single day when I open Politico, CNN, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, all of these outlets, they're all saying the same thing. Democrats freak out. Democrats freak out. And that's it. I don't think there's going to be anything really substantive for a while. So if you're interested in hearing about Democrats freaking out, stay tuned for more videos every day at 4 p.m. Now, of course, I do talk about other things on my second channel. I'll have more videos at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCastNews. I'll talk about Look, there's a lot of things that YouTube doesn't let me talk about. So I'll wrap it up by saying this. If you come to this channel and you are thinking to yourself, why is it that Tim always talks about politicians, politics, and elections? I'll tell you, it's because YouTube literally only lets me talk about these things on this channel. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. They hard shadow ban all of my content. If you go to my other channels, Timcast IRL and Timcast News, you'll see literally everything else. So it's not that I don't talk about these things, it's that they're kind of just walled off from each other because YouTube literally shadow bans content on this channel. Don't ask me why. They don't like me. 
but I'll leave it there. I'm sure tomorrow the story will be much the same. Donald Trump's going to come out, say something. His approval rating is going to skyrocket. Bernie Sanders is going to say something. People will boo and jeer. Establishment Democrats will file more lawsuits and will all go crying and, and, and will all go crying up until November when Donald Trump wins re-election. And then once Trump wins re-election, knowing it's his last term, he's going to he's, he's gonna go ham. It's going to be bonkers. He's going to win. It's possible Bernie pulls something out, but I, I doubt it. I'll leave it there. Stick around. I'll see you all on that uh, other channel at 6 p.m., uh, youtube.com slash timcastnews. And again, I will see you there. You know, when basically every news outlet complains about the Democratic debate, it's not fair to call me biased. Even BuzzFeed News right now has an op-ed on their front page talking about how horrible and boring the Democratic debate was, saying that it was chaotic and everyone who watched it is now an aged zombie. I kid you not. And they go on to say that at a certain point, you can't stand to hear the sound of human voices. That's how bad BuzzFeed thought it was. But of course, like clockwork, a Democratic debate happens, and then everyone starts screaming Donald Trump won when he wasn't even in the debate. I get the joke, but how does that keep happening? Because they're all insane. Take a look at this story from Fox News. Trump wins debate as Democrats fight among themselves, focusing attacks on Sanders and Bloomberg. Okay, fine. It's a Fox News opinion piece. We get it. They're going to say Trump won. I bring you now to WBUR 90.9. The South Carolina Democratic uh, debate was destined to be a disaster. A dumpster fire, they say. CBS News moderators hit over Democratic presidential debate. And you know what? Just (laughs) look at this. Just to show you, it's not a handful of outlets. I just Google search debate disaster. We got criticism from the New York Times, Fox News, Mediaite. Mediaite's left The Week magazine. Like basically everybody's saying this debate was an unmitigated disaster. And there are, there are several reasons for it. My stars and garters, Bernie Sanders got booed several times. And you know, People on Twitter like to make it seem like, well, the, the only reason people are booing Bernie is because Bloomberg stacked the audience or other stupid nonsense like that. Perhaps it's because Bernie's far left and socialist policies don't fly well in certain places. Perhaps it's because South Carolina is close to Florida and there are a lot of people who know people or they themselves fled Cuba under the dictatorship that was Fidel Castro. And Bernie Sanders actually defended it, adamantly defended it. Here's the story from Real Clear Politics. But before, you know, I, I noticed there's a little there's a little Joe Biden right here. He doesn't deserve much of a mention, but man, the whole time during last night's debate was him pretending to be angry. And I kid you not, Joe Biden actually said that since 2007, 150 million people have died to gun violence. That is so absolutely psychotic. That's just the, the most insane thing. Joe Biden, look, he, someone asked him about North Korea, started talking about China or something like that. The dude's clearly not all there. If 150 million people had died since 07, it'd be like 40 some odd percent of the population considering population growth and new births, right? So you take into consideration all the people back then till, till now. No. And that, that was a joke I made. Did I miss the second civil war or something where 150 million people died? No, Joe Biden's just nuts. And, and people in the audience are probably just like, uh, what? But everybody on Twitter seemed to notice left and right. Biden, you're out. Stop. But Bernie, we'll bring it back to Bernie because last night 
I, uh, yesterday uh, at 4 p.m., I did a segment talking about Bernie's defense, Bernie's doubling down of his defense of Fidel Castro and Venezuela and China and other dictatorships with, I kid you not, a literal, literally saying he made the trains run on time. I mean that literal in, in like, it's a confusing figurative stance, but typically when people mention that Mussolini made the trains run on time, it's a tongue in cheek comment about how we get it. Evil people, horrifying regimes do some small iotas of good, but it's only through the horrifying nature of of their dictatorship. So that's a tongue in cheek way to say that Bernie's literally being like, no, 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 Cuba did good. They taught people to read. They taught people to read it like gunpoint, dude. So Bernie Sanders defends this and gets booed. And it's, and it, and I, I will add, I got a couple more stories and I really want to read you this BuzzFeed takedown, but we'll get serious first before I read you the hilarious BuzzFeed takedown of the Democratic debates. Because look, man, of all of the outlets to slam the debates, I did not expect BuzzFeed to do it, but it was kind of funny. Sanders defends Cuba remarks. Let me remind you, this is a tripling down. Bernie is refusing to back down in defending that dictatorships do something good. And you must acknowledge that when they do something good. Sorry, when they do something good. No, you don't. All right, let's read and then I'll tear this apart again. CBS News. Senator Bernie Sanders stated that his opinion on Cuban leadership was similar to that of Obama. When dictatorships, whether it is Chinese or the Cubans, do something good, you acknowledge that. But you don't have to trade love letters with them, Sanders said at the CBS News debate in South Carolina. Asked by uh, one of the moderators, You praised this. It's on. It's in the same thing, sir. You praise the Chinese Communist Party for lifting more people out of extreme poverty than any other country. You also have a track record of expressing sympathy for socialist governments in Cuba and Nicaragua. Can Americans trust that it that it that it democratic socialist its democratic socialist president will not give authoritarians a free pass? And he says, I have opposed authoritarianism all over the world. I was really amazed at what Mayor Bloomberg just said that uh, that a moment ago. He said that the Chinese government is responsive to the Politburo. Who the, who the hell is the Politburo responsive to? Who elects them? You've got a real dictatorship there. Of course you have a dictatorship in Cuba. What I said is what Obama said in terms of Cuba, that Cuba made progress on education. Yes, I think. Booing. Here's where it gets. We are, we are entering dumpster fire territory. The audience is now booing. And I think it's fair to say it's partly because Florida and South Carolina are very close. You probably have a high concentration of the children of Cuban exiles or children of Cuban immigrants or whatever. Booing Sanders and says, really, really literacy program, dude, when people are booing you, you know, there was another funny moment that was really strange. And I, I don't know if I have the article pulled up, but yeah, actually I do take this out. Burning question. Was the debate audience booing Bernie Sanders for slamming billionaires or booing billionaires? They were booing Bernie Sanders. This is the weirdest thing. Even Bernie seemed confused by it. Let's get, I'll, I'll come back to this. Let's, let's figure out what, what Bloomberg's saying. I'm sorry, what Bernie is saying with defending Cuba. So after the booing, because people don't want to hear what Bernie has to say about why he would praise a dictatorship, Buttigieg chimes in, yes, because there's no comparing those two commentaries. Sanders, what Barack Obama said, Buttigieg chimes in. <laughs> See, this is the this is the part about why it was a disaster. I can't even read the transcript because just people yelling over each other with no moderators doing anything. So Sanders says great progress on education and health care. That was Barack Obama. And then Sanders says, excuse me, occasionally it might be a good idea to be honest about American foreign policy. And that includes the fact that America has overthrown governments all over the world in Chile, in Guatemala, in Iran to applause. Well, there you go, Bernie. 
We don't like our war in this country, though the machine does. And when dictatorships, whether it is the Chinese uh, or the Cubans, do something good, you acknowledge that. But you don't trade love letters with them. I'm going to stop you right there. You see, when they do literacy programs or raise people off poverty, it's because they're locking up and like causing extreme physical harm and mental harm to their citizenry. Yes, people learned how to read at gunpoint. That's great. And as the joke on Twitter, there's one joke on Twitter saying now they can read all the false charges against them when they get locked in prison for the rest of their lives for no reason. And that's what you're really defending. A literacy program in a country that had some of the highest literacy in, 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 in South Central America. Well, it's, it's Cuba. So but in the in the Americas, I think it uh, was 76 percent was the stat that was that's on Twitter. And you're going to defend that. Well, let's do this. I, I, I do have to, to, to point out Michael Bloomberg. I, I think I, I'm not sure if I have this. Uh, I do have this. I do. Have this. Check this out. Twitter calls out Bloomberg's Freudian slip slip after he said after saying he bought House Democrat seats in 2018 midterms. Look, man, there was so much about this debate that was a complete and unmitigated disaster. And you know, what's funny is the past several debates have been bad. And I've made segments where I'm like, oh, man, another disaster. But this was really it. I mean, Joe Biden was pretending to be angry the whole time about who knows what, chattering off about the wrong countries and claiming 150 million people are dead. Bernie Sanders is defending Cuba and communist China. Bloomberg bragging that he bought Democratic politicians. And I'm sitting here like, these are the people we have to vote for in November? Are you nuts? Is that the best they have to offer? Even even BuzzFeed. So, so Bloomberg was bragging about the grassroots efforts he's been involved in. And then even goes on to say that he bought Democrats. He bought them. And then he like tried to catch himself. I think it's fair to say that he said he almost bought. Check us out. Incredible. In the Democratic debate, billionaire Bloomberg boasted that he, quote, bought right wing neoliberal Democrats like Nancy Pelosi. That's not true, Ben. He was talking about the moderates who won. Then after saying bought, he quickly corrected himself and said, but uh, got them. Yeah, because that changes the context, right? So here's what, here's what he says. They talk about 40 Democrats. 21 of those are people that I spent $100 million to help elect, Bloomberg said. All of the new Democrats that came in put House Speaker Nancy Pelosi in charge and gave Congress the ability to control this president. He added, I bought, I, I uh, got them. You heard it first. Bloomberg is a corrupt oligarch who has been dumping obscene amounts of money to manipulate politics in this country. And he's even buying politicians. So you want to blame impeachment? It is him. If you, if you like impeachment, there you go. It's him. So if you don't like Trump because he's a potty mouthed billionaire with no regard to American norms or whatever you might think, then by all means, vote for the potty mouthed billionaire with no regard to American norms. How does that work? Bloomberg is worse than Trump. He's literally buying politics. He even admits it on stage. What a dumpster fire of a trash hole that debate was. Well, now I'm going to bring you to the BuzzFeed story. When I saw this on BuzzFeed, I could not believe it. Of all of the places that would criticize this, of course, the, the DC Examiner, of course, Real Clear Politics would have some, some snippets. Of course, Fox News would say Trump wins again. But BuzzFeed? Everyone who watched the Democratic debate now looks like an aged zombie. Well, I'll tell you what, last night, while the debate's going on, me and my friends, we played some card games. And, you know, that, that, that basically made sure that no matter what was said, we were having a good time because everyone else who sat in their couch just to watch the debate as like their primary function, they probably look like aged zombies. BuzzFeed writes, this is amazing. Occasionally in life, 
you can reach a point where you can no longer tolerate the sound of human voices. That point often coincides with presidential primary debates in late February, when days seem both 68 hours long and disappear, and most people in, around, or observing campaigns develop a radiant, ambient stress that never leaves. Technically, Tuesday's debate probably should have clarified something about the future of the Democratic Party between Bernie Sanders' blowout win in Nevada and South Carolina uh, last week, and South Carolina and Super Tuesday in the next week. Instead, the whole enterprise slid into woozy exhaustion and dragged everyone watching in too. Only 144 hours separated last week's debate and this one. But even the loose anger from last week's debate seemed, seemed diminished into a burnt out end of the tour feel. Midway through an answer about what he'd do about the humanitarian crisis in Idlib, Pete Buttigieg turned and said, I want to come back to something. And I promise it relates to international affairs. Bernie Sanders had asked him a question. He said about whether guaranteeing health care was radical. It isn't, Buttigieg said. What is a radical idea is completely eliminating all private insurance. And part of how you know it is, is that no industrialized country has gone that far. He and I both like to talk about Denmark, for example, but even Denmark, they have not abolished the possibility of private insurance. So this is an idea that goes further than what is acceptable in Denmark, the country, let alone imagining how that's going to fly in Denmark, South Carolina. After this Healthcare Denmark line in response to a question about Syria, when Margaret Brennan turned to Elizabeth Warren, Warren appeared to have forgotten what the original question was. But the whole debate had that kind of irked alley-oop to someone who isn't their vibe. Every time they cut away from one person, the entire, entire stage seemed frozen in the same stances. At podium, hand raised, at one point, Gail King told Joe Biden he was a gentleman, to which he responded, yeah, gentlemen don't get very well, get very well treated up here. It's surreal time where Sanders is probably headed toward the Democratic nomination and six competitors don't quite know how to win themselves. Even the debate didn't know how to end. Oh, man, this is really the nail in the coffin. They didn't. Check this out. O'Donnell says, well, thank you. That concludes our debate. King, no, no, we have time for one more break. Nora, one more break. Time flies when you're having fun. You're watching the Democratic debate right here on CBS. Applause, commercial break, applause. O'Donnell said, thank you. That concludes our debate. We want to thank the candidates, the moderators, and you watching at home tonight. They literally had to make sure they could sell ads like, no, don't leave yet. We're going to play commercials. Don't get up. We're not done. And then as soon as it comes back, they're like, okay, now we're done. So this is a complete and unmitigated disaster. But let's come back to why people were booing at Bernie. This shows me whether or not you think the audience was stacked. Talk about a raging dumpster fire. Bernie, it was, it was crazy to me when some people would say something and everyone would boo him. Like, everyone was booing everything. Nobody likes any of these people. None of them get along. Nobody wants to vote for them. Bernie's winning, but he's not lighting up new voters. So he's only winning off of a low turnout electorate that should have grown based on population growth. And it's not happening. Young voters aren't coming out. And people in South Carolina are booing him. The Democratic Party does not have any unity. You might as well not even call it a Democratic Party. At least I don't even know what to say anymore. I have people asking me like, Tim, when you say Democrats did this, who are you referring to? I don't know anymore. Is it the Bernie Sanders far left progressives? Is it the dirtbag socialists who hate identity politics? Is it the establishment cronies or the, 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 the moderate populist types that barely exist, if at all? They're a voice on Twitter, kind of, I guess. I don't know. I have no idea. Well, it's certainly not the moderates. Let's be honest. Those people have been washed out. Is it Pelosi? I guess for the most part, but Bernie's the front runner and Jacobin magazine, the socialist magazine says that it's his party. I don't even know what Democrat refers to at this point. Literally don't. But then you get the question of, let me read this for you. They say, 
Bernie Sanders was met with boos from the debate audience when he slammed former mayor Mike Bloomberg's support from billionaires. But it was a little unclear at whom the boos were directed, Sanders or the billionaires. Well, I'll tell you this. Typically, when someone says something and people like it, they clap and cheer. So when Bernie says he's supported by billionaires and they go, boo, boo, it's more likely they were booing Bernie. But the reason everyone's confused is like, why would anyone boo that? There's like, what, 10 billionaires in this country or something? Okay, maybe more than that, but still. There's like very few of them. People don't really have a lot of sympathy for billionaires. But hey, when even Bernie is booed, I think it's because maybe they just don't like Bernie because he's a socialist. They say Sanders demanded time to respond and lit right into Bloomberg saying, Mayor Bloomberg has a solid and strong enthusiastic base of support. The problem is they're all billionaires. That line was met with loud jeers and one audience member who reacted with what can only be described as anguish. (laughs) The moment caused Sanders to briefly pause. Yes, Sanders was confused. It seemed obvious. While many social media users were confused as to whether the jeers were for Sanders or Bloomberg's billionaires, there were also many who were convinced it was Sanders being jeered, judging from the temperature of the room. The latter seems more likely, but you decide, no, I think it was, I think it was Bernie being booed. I really do. I, I can't tell you why. I, it makes no sense. I don't, I don't know who would burn, but I guess whatever. I was wondering if maybe South Carolina's a bunch of Republicans in there and maybe the billionaires are in there, or maybe it's just that Bernie is a socialist. The people down there aren't socialists. It is a moderate state. You've got congressmen from, I think it was a congressman from South Carolina rejecting Sanders. And maybe they just don't, they're sick and tired of the excuses. I also think it's fair to point out, Bernie used to say, the millionaires and billionaires in this country. And then he became a millionaire. And then he was like, I, uh, well, just the billionaires, because the millionaires are okay now. Well, as soon as Bernie became one, that's exactly how it played out. A dumpster fire. <laughs> this is from the DC Examiner. This will be the last one, but you get it. They say the debate was hosted by CBS News. We get it. The Democratic debate was mired with candidates talking over one another, and other members of the media criticized how the moderators managed the debate. I bring this one up as a sort of the, the finale, because of course we can see Bernie being booed. Who knows why? Bloomberg talking, bragging about buying candidates, but even other people in media, blue checky journalists, were like, "Wow, that was bad." And what's funny is it's not the first time they've done this. Every single debate has been a dumpster fire. Why? Why? You know what? We got the B team. The Democratic A team has been gone for a long time. It ended with Obama and maybe it was Obama's fault. Really? Look, Obama had a lot of far left policy ideas, right? He wanted universal health care in his first term and he shifted the party dramatically towards the left faster and faster. But it's, I don't want to put it all on him. It was this cultural change that was happening due to social media, as I, have to, as I often describe it. And, you know, Barack Obama was the leader of the party at the time. Once he got out, it was almost like something happened with the launch of Facebook and the rise of intersectionality in the woke far left that just fired off the Democratic Party to the far left like a trebuchet and landed them on just the, right off the cliff into the water, splash. And now there's nobody left. And now all you've got is a bunch of tired, haggard people covered in water, dragging themselves up the cliff, desperately yelling, vote for me, vote for me. And everyone's like, y'all are disheveled and out of it. And they're all bickering and yelling at each other. The journalists can't get their head straight. straight. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is doing nothing. Donald Trump's tweeting about this stuff. And what happens? Once again, and here, and I'll wrap this up. Trump wins. Trump wins because none of these people have cohesive ideas. They're eating each other alive. No one knows who the front runner is for the most part. Like we know, we know it's Bernie, but everyone still thinks you know we have a chance to win. Maybe after Super Tuesday, we'll get rid of some of these people. But I bet you they will not drop out. I'm willing to bet everyone who's in will stay. In. You know why? 
the more people running, the more likely it is that Bernie will not break the delegate threshold to get the nomination at the DNC. So you're going to see Buttigieg and everyone hold their ground because if Bernie doesn't get the threshold, it goes to a contested convention and it's anyone's game. That's why when asked the last debate, Bernie was the only candidate who said the popular vote should be the nominee. All of the other candidates said, no, no, we have rules. We have a process. So let's say Warren gets nothing, but they go to a contested convention. Superdelegates chime in. Everyone votes. It could be her. Why drop out then? I'm kind of bummed Andrew Yang dropped that. He shouldn't have. Because if this goes to a contested convention, they could have voted for him. Or, I mean, you know, whatever. I think, I think Yang bowed out with grace, so I can respect that. But there's, good, there's a bunch of other Democrats who probably won't. You know, I think it's going to go to Bloomberg. I really do. Now, 538, I think at last check, has Bernie poised to win, but barely. And contested convention is the second highest. It's teetering back and forth. We'll see what happens after Super Tuesday in South Carolina. I'm going to make a, a hard bet that this debate performance by all of them, I don't think we're going to see that big voter turnout Democrats expected because it hasn't happened yet. You know, a lot of people were talking about New Hampshire being this great, like the numbers were projected to be higher than 2008, and then they weren't. They were just around 2016 with no new voters, very, very few new voters, very few uh, younger voters just not coming out. Bernie was not lighting up any new voters. Nobody cares. You know why nobody cares? They got nothing to worry about. The only people who care about this are culture war people like you and me. Donald Trump is the economy is great. Most people aren't paying attention. They're sitting around on their on their lounging chair, you know, eating pizza, watching the game. And they're like, things have never been better. And because things have never, never been better, they have no reason to pay attention to anything else. When things get bad, that's when people start going to the news and saying, why is my life bad? But Trump has kept them fat and happy for four years. So they're sitting back, not paying attention. And the only people who are coming out are culture war people who are like orange man bad. But I will leave all you Trump supporters with one warning. These are primaries and voter turnout matters here. It does. But we had massive voter turnout in 2018. It's possible that in the past year and a half, two years, that people's lives have gotten so good they just don't care anymore. Or it's that, you know, it was only it was only fueled by Bloomberg dumping money into the races. And maybe now he still is. But now he himself is running and people are more focused on the presidency and Trump will probably win. I don't know. It could be that in the past two years, life has just gotten better and people are now just over it. It could be that the Democrats have done so many insane conspiracy scandals that everyone just turned the TV off and went to the sports bar to grab some wings with their buddies and say, please do not talk to me about this. I am so over it. We saw the ratings collapse for all the big political moments from, you know, the, 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 uh, the testimonies of whoever to Kavanaugh and all that stuff. And they've slowly been falling, getting lower and lower. Now, the last debates actually, not, not yesterday's, but the one before that actually had pretty good ratings. But I think that's because we're entering primary season. This, this, these might have good ratings as well because Super Tuesday is around the corner. But I'll, I'll wrap up with this. If the ratings for this debate were better than ever, the Democrats should be very, very worried. Bernie Sanders tripling down on defending authoritarian regimes is inexcusable as far as I'm concerned. Joe Biden ranting with false anger about 150 million people who have died just sounds crazy. Once again, Pete Buttigieg sounds like he's made of plastic and has nothing to offer. Klobuchar sounds like a nervous, you know, she's just nervous shaking, trying to, I don't know, I don't know what she has, but she sounds nervous. I'll put it that way. And you had Bloomberg, who actually admitted to buying politicians on accident. Uh, I'm forgetting someone else who, who was there. I don't know, whatever. So that's it. I think we're, oh, Steyer, that guy exists? Yeah, he paid his way and so did Bloomberg. I'll wrap it up. I think they're in trouble. I don't know, though. I will tell you. 
it's possible Bernie's people really do come out in droves. I just don't see it because for, for all the people that are talking about Bernie really lighting up the Democratic base, you have to realize most Americans are scared of socialism. And what do you think is going to happen in South Carolina? All of these people who might be familiar with, you know, Cuban exiles, because it's right there. You know, they're going to be like, don't do it, man. Don't vote for this guy. We'll see. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. The coronavirus is starting to get a little bit more scary, and it's getting scarier day by day. The mortality rate, they say, is around 2% of closed cases. Around the 25,000 who have been infected, 10% have died. Take this all seriously. As I stressed yesterday, Italy had a few isolated cases. They don't know how it, it expanded as far as it did. And now they're the worst affected country outside of China, where there's so far 70 plus thousand, nearly 80,000 people infected. The World Health Organization is saying the world is simply not ready. But this is not what I want to start off with. I want to start off with telling you of how, how, okay, look, things are getting worrisome. San Francisco has declared a state of emergency over the coronavirus. I believe that is a smart thing to do. Do not take action after the news hits. And this is where I've got bad news for all of y'all. In Italy, where I, I covered this yesterday, in Italy, where the store shelves are being you know, run dry in a lot of these markets, they are threatening people with three months in prison for breaking quarantine, for trying to leave these cities. They set up no man's lands where if people approach, there's armed guards who stop them, but they do allow you to come and bring supplies for trade. They're taking this insanely seriously. And now we're seeing the scary aftermath, the reality for the people who don't pay attention. I want to stress, I don't think the apocalypse is here, but when you see the governments react this way, I hope you are taking care of yourselves. I've said it over and over again. You need to go buy some food. Take a look at this, this story. Shoppers fight in supermarket within Italy's red zone, where 50,000 people have been placed in quarantine and shops have run low on food. There is a video of people fighting in a supermarket. I was joking about this on Twitter. I called it the coronavirus wager. If the news reports are, wor- are uh, uh, I'll start over. Let me start over. If you go out and buy some food or order some food and it turns out that everything is overblown, then you got some extra food to eat. If you get some rice and beans, congratulations. You get to have taco night a couple, you know, a couple, a couple weeks this month. It's not the worst thing in the world. If you buy the food and the stories are, it's actually not overhyped. It's, it's going to be worse. You're going to be very, very happy that you bought some supplies. Now, the, the alternative is if you don't buy anything and nothing happens, you're fine. But if you don't buy anything and this is bad, you're in serious trouble. So the wager basically says the smartest thing you can do is prepare for this because otherwise you will end up fighting someone in a supermarket over the last can of beans and you do not want to be in that situation. I do not ever want to talk about, you know, freak out, don't panic. You know, I don't want to talk about the world ending, but I'm going to say this. Don't freak out. Don't panic. Just take care of yourself because I have been in hurricanes several, several hurricanes. Okay. I was in, um, I was in Sandy and I was in that, what well, I can't, Irene, I was in Irene in Virginia. And you go to these stores and you see just what happens after the news breaks. I'm sorry, but it feels like at this point, well, I, no, no, no. I, I don't want to say I'm sorry. We went out to the store yesterday. We bought some water. We bought some food. I, I think it's a smart thing to do. I'm going to do something I don't normally do, but I'm doing now. And I mean this with the utmost sincerity. There is a, a like website design. Look, there's a little picture of me on it preparewithtim.com. It's set up as, you know, basically it's a sponsorship thing. When you buy these, like I get like a, a percentage, it's kind of like one of those sales deals. I normally don't do this. 
I do not ever like doing, hey, go buy this thing. You know, it supports the channel. But I will tell you first and foremost, all of the videos I've done talking about coronavirus have been demonetized, which means every time I do these updates, there is absolutely no upside for me on this. I'm, I'm covering this because it's important and I know it will not, you know, be a net benefit. This will help offset that. My Patriot Supply, you go to preparewithtim.com. They've got four week and two week emergency food supplies. But the only reason I'm doing this, because I am no fan of this, is because I, I really do think it's important at this point. How many videos have I made where I said you seriously need to consider taking care of yourself and never let anyone shame you into not preparing for some kind of, you know, disaster because hurricanes happen, earthquakes happen, floods happen. I have seen so many disaster economies where the food is gone and you do not want to be that person fighting in a supermarket, especially now that the CDC has said it's not a question of if, but when it is, it is going to happen. Okay, the the, the virus will come. They're going to start locking down towns. And I I mean it. Don't be scared, because according to the people who are locked down in Italy, the worst thing about it is they're bored. Eighty percent of people get mild symptoms. Around 20 percent get critical. And around two percent of all reported cases have resulted in deaths. I know a lot of people are arguing over how the numbers, you know, what makes sense and what doesn't. I don't know. All I'll tell you is there's going to be an economic slowdown. There's going to be supply chain disruption. It's already happening. The question is not a matter of if, but when and how severe it will be. Now, I do have bad news for you. This is, again, I'll say it, preparewithtim.com. You go there. It helps support the channel, especially when these videos are demonetized. But you you actually can get, they're doing a big discounts right now. You can get two-week food supplies. And I mean this with the utmost sincerity. The only reason I'm shouting them out is because I really think you need to take this seriously. I'm hoping that once this all blows over, and it will, Trump is right about that, but Trump definitely is trying to keep people calm. I think this will get really bad, but we'll pull through. And afterwards, we can all go back to arguing over how much of a socialist Bernie is, or if Trump really is trying to abuse the power of office, whatever you want to argue about. I don't care your politics right now. I'm talking about you keeping yourself safe so that we can go back to (laughs) uncivilized bickering, to say the least. But I, 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 with, with the utmost respect for everyone, whatever your political opinions may be, take care of yourself, man. Here's, here's some, some of the bad news, though. They are experiencing delays for obvious reasons. You know, they're, they're experiencing, they say now, 35 times above normal demand for emergency food supplies. And look, maybe I should have given, given them a shout out a while ago. I, I still think they're a great company. You know, they're one of the few companies that I ever shout out, but it, it, I, 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 w- I will never say don't buy. I think you should definitely put your orders in now because if we're seeing them say rising global concerns over the coronavirus COVID-19 is resulting in 35 times above normal demand for this stuff, please do not end up being these people fighting in a supermarket over a can of beans. It may already be the case, but at least you can put that order in, order in now. And I'll say it again, preparewithtim.com. Let's read some of these stories. So we've got... I'm going I'm, to, this, this is really annoying to me. I don't, I'm not going to get into the shoppers fighting. That's, we get it. Okay. They fought. It's, it's, it's probably going to get, it's going to get worse than this. The fighting you'll see in supermarkets. If you, if you thought Black Friday was bad when people are fighting over things because they want them, what do you think happens when people need them? And I'll tell you what, I, I always think it's funny when you, you hear these people chat, you know, shouting about how you got to buy gold. Nah, you don't need to buy gold. Okay. There's a lot of financial reasons. Maybe you'll consider it. Gold can be a great investment. I'm bringing up the gold thing because you hear so much from the doomsayers about once the end comes and the chaos, you're going to need gold to buy stuff. That's just not true. You're going to need water. 
a bottle of water will be worth so much more than literally anything else. So I, I seriously hope you, you know, fill up some bottles. The water you have running now, just it's not the best thing to do, but it's better than no water because you can only last a few days without water before things get bad. Again, I don't think the apocalypse is coming. I just think we're going to see massive disruptions. We're going to see quarantines. And if that's the case, then you're going to want to be chilling inside your house with your food all ready to go for a couple of weeks. Listen, you order some rice and beans, you order some of these emergency. F- Actually, I'll tell you this. If you order rice and beans, you're going to have taco night. That's a joke I made. If you order from My Patriot Supply, you're actually going to get a wide variety. So I've definitely ordered some emergency food stuffs and went to the store and bought stuff. It's already happening now. San Francisco declares a state of emergency over the coronavirus. The CDC has said it's not a matter of if, but when. I know I'm repeating myself. I'm just trying to stress to you the importance that do not react when it is too late. The people who are going to pull through on this one, the safest and most comfortable uh, you know, positions are the ones who went up before it all started. And again, shout out to everybody in the comments, because I see your comments when you're saying, Tim, you're wrong. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Because in the first few videos, I was like, let's remain calm. It's probably not a big deal. All of those people probably went out right away and bought a couple of tubs of food. And now there's a massive demand because people are rushing. Masks are getting sold out. The prices are getting jacked up. You go to the store, you're going to see the shelves getting emptied because people are getting worried about this. San Francisco has already declared a state of emergency. The Hill reports, while no coronavirus cases have been confirmed in San Francisco, the global picture is changing rapidly and we need to step up preparedness. We see the virus spreading in new parts of the world every day, and we are taking the necessary steps to protect San Franciscans from harm. Smart, smart. One of the few things I can praise San Francisco for. Do not react when it is too late. Many of these jurisdictions like Italy, didn't even set up any, any, any border control or anything like that. Oh, we got an isolated incident. It's no big deal. And now, boom, one of the worst affected countries in Europe. There's a funny meme going around where there's a news story saying, no, we don't need to close the borders between, you know, France, Italy or whatever. And then it was like the next day, boom, coronavirus cases hit France. So you need to do what San Francisco is doing now. San Francisco has no reported cases. They're declaring a state of emergency. Have you declared a state of emergency in your house, in your apartment, with your friends, with your family? Because San Francisco is doing it and they got nothing going on. No viruses. That's smart. It might be too late. The incubation period is 14 days. But now let me send you some more, some, some, some more, uh, some scarier information. They opened up the quarantine. Look at this story. Dozens of passengers, 45 people. They said, we're going to hold you for two weeks. And then after two weeks, they said, you guys are good. Let them out. 45 now showing symptoms. They did have it. They broke quarantine because they thought 14 days was enough. I said this would happen. When I reported the story saying that the incubation period was up to 27 days in rare cases, I said, then 14 days isn't enough. You need 30. Hey, look, man, I don't want to, I don't want to tell governments or whatever what to do because I don't know. But I will tell you this. If it were me, I'd say I'm not leaving this boat for a month because I'm not going to risk spreading this virus to other places. I know the mortality rate is not high. But 2% is high enough. That means out of 100 people, two of them will, will, will pass. They will die. Okay, that, that's, not, that's not an exciting prospect. That means if we're talking, there have been warnings about 60% global infection. They say it's the high end. Maybe we're overreacting. Maybe. It's better to overreact a little bit, but we've seen how fast it spread. It was only a couple months ago. We had a dozen cases in China, now 80,000. They're saying, so experts have testified, have, have, have said, it's not going to be gone in the spring. Now, Trump is trying to say that it is going to go away. Things like this. We don't know for sure, but we, we, we do know there's a strong likelihood and many countries are in full on panic mode. So you've got 
uh, Italy who underreacted. And you've got several other countries who underreacted. And now it's time for us not to underreact. When the, I'm going to read you the story. Dozens of passengers allowed, allowed off the Diamond Princess cruise ship after it was hit by an outbreak of coronavirus have developed symptoms, Japan has revealed. Officials said they contacted 813 former passengers of the vessel who had previously tested negative for the virus and found 45 are now showing symptoms. All of those with symptoms have been asked to contact doctors and take new tests to test whether they are also infected. Japan has faced mounting criticism of its handling of the Diamond Princess ship after a failed effort to quarantine passengers on board after one tested positive led to almost 700 infections and four deaths. We can see they got a bunch of photos. Foreign governments eventually decided to repatriate their citizens. It was a mistake. Trump was furious. They brought these people back. And rightly so. The markets are taking a hit. Supply is slowing down. I think, in my personal opinion, it's kind of dumb. I'm worried about this, but I really don't think we're close to the apocalypse. I think it's going to be several months, maybe six, seven months, and we're going to get, we're going to go beyond this. But what I, my opinion doesn't matter. Where I think we'll end up doesn't matter. What matters is we don't really know. And you can't have an optimism bias. You can't just assume, ah, it'll be fine. I don't need to go to the store. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, when the emergency food supply people are seeing a 35 times higher demand delaying orders, it might be too late for you to get the supplies you might need. Now, you can probably still go to the store and pick up some water. Most people, I'll tell you this, if you're watching this video, you're, you're in the front, you're, you're, you're in the front uh, of the newspaper cycle, uh, of the news cycle, collecting this information. People like me are, on, on the, on the, uh, are absolutely on the front, uh, front of the line. I read all these stories right when they break. And as soon as I saw it, I went out to the store and I bought some water. And it was funny because they were like, why are you buying so much water? And I was like, we didn't buy that much. But I was like, we got, look, I got, I got a bunch of people who work, work, work here and we have, you know, water and we got this, little, is it, there's a cool little thing you can buy from Amazon or wherever. Just, you, you put it on top of one of those five gallon jugs and it's got a spigot, like a spout. You press the button and it pumps air in and pumps the water out. It's really, really cool. So we have fresh water. Our worst case scenario is we got, we got several five gallon jugs. We drink anyway. We, you know, so, so there we go. But I'm like seeing all these people, they're like, wow, you sure are buying a, a bunch of water. And I'm like, well, we got five people working and, you know, we, we want to have enough water for everybody to drink. We didn't buy that much. But I'm thinking like, it's kind of funny that they don't know. They don't. They still don't know. I'm willing to bet I can go to the store and a lot of people don't know yet. So you still have time. You guys watching, you know what's going on. They had these people, look at Japanese citizens allowed off the ship after a 14 day quarantine were asked to stay inside, but no formal measures restricting their movement were imposed. And now that they've all gone off, 45 people are showing symptoms. San Francisco is taking it seriously. So if anyone says to you, like, are you seriously going to go buy stuff now? Are you joking? Like, the world's not ending, dude. You'd be like, San Francisco declared a state of emergency. Ignore these people. I see these, these journalists for these digital publications arguing that the stories come out of China are propaganda to make people hate China. I'm not joking. They seriously are. They're like, oh, please, the flu is still worse. Millions of people infected. The mortality rate is higher. These countries are panicking. San Francisco's declared a state of emergency. Check this out. They say the new state of emergency will allow city officials to assemble resources and personnel to expedite emergency planning measures and boost the ability to deploy a rapid response to a potential coronavirus case in the city. The move follows a similar declaration from Santa Clara County earlier this month. The declaration is effective immediately for seven days and will be voted on by the Board of Supervisors on March 3rd. 
The statement from Breed comes amid stark warnings from U.S. health officials over the chances of an outbreak of the virus in the U.S. As more and more countries experience community spread, successful containment at our borders becomes harder and harder, said Nancy Messiaen, director of the CDC, Center for Immunization and Respiratory Disease. It is not a question of if this will happen, but, but, this is, but, but when this will happen and how many people in this country will have severe illnesses. Disruption to everyday life might be severe. All right. Some of you are probably sitting here listening, saying, whatever, I'll go to the store, whatever. Ignore me. You're free to do so. This is America. In America, you can point your finger at me and say, oh, Tim, you're crazy. Even though San Francisco declared a state of emergency, supplies are, are backed up 35 times higher demand, and people in Italy are fighting in supermarkets. So by all means, ignore everything I've said over the past, you know, several, a couple of weeks. And then when you find yourself inside, you know, standing outside of a Walmart parking lot with tons of people yelling and the store, the shelves have been stripped dry. And then some, you know, old woman runs out with the last can of baked beans and you tackle her to the ground and you're fighting desperately for those beans. I want you to remember that I said this. <laughs> you need to go. I'm, I know I'm being a bit silly here, but, but not for real. If you've never been in a disaster economy, then I can understand why you might be skeptical. But I've been to areas, you know, affected by hurricanes. I've been like New York, man, crazy after Sandy because there was no power in, Man- in most of Manhattan. So you'd go to these bodegas and they'd have people standing at the doors guarding, you know, like standing guard. They would let one person in at a time and most of the refrigerator food was spoiled. So what, what could you buy? Oil, flour, cans, you know, beans. The water was gone. I've, when there was an algal bloom in, I think this was near Ohio, all of the, all of the bottled water and fresh water 40 miles around the city was gone. So you had to drive 40 miles. The lines for gas, don't even ask. It was nuts. After Sandy, the lines for, the, for gasoline, you, you, you wouldn't even get it. You're sitting there all day trying to fill up and some shops didn't have any. And that kind of stuff can happen. All right. You live in a big city. You run the risks when supply chain disruption happens. Cities are not going to be fun place to live, fun places to live. Look, I don't I don't know. I don't know exactly what will happen. I think we're going to be fine no matter what, because humans have dealt with substantially worse than this. I mean, there have been flu pandemics that have been worse, but this looks like it can can and will be really, really bad. And that means people will panic and you shouldn't. You should absolutely remain calm. You, you, you have an opportunity right now before, you know, we start seeing these states of emergency declared in our own cities and towns. I'm on the East Coast. You know, I'm, I'm near the Philadelphia. I'm uh, near Philadelphia. This is San Francisco. No reported cases, but they're doing the right thing by acting now. And I think you should, too. I'll say it. I'll say it one last time and I'll wrap this up. We got a bunch of news. You know, the CDC is saying things are going to be bad. Shoppers are fighting. The World Health Organization is saying that we're just not ready for this. That may be the case. The absolute worst case scenario, if you go out and buy some rice and beans right now, is that you're going to have taco night for a week straight when all of this blows over. Not a bad prospect, I might add. Taco night's pretty fun. But if this really does get as bad as many people are expecting it to be, then you're going to be really, really happy you have beans and rice because that, as my understanding, is a complete amino chain. I don't know for sure. But I'll wrap up one more time by saying you can go to this website, preparewithtim.com, and it helps support the channel. All these videos get demonetized. I'm not, they, they do not want us you know, talking about coronavirus for whatever reason. They got this silly little picture of me from a couple of years ago. I love it. And they are experiencing delays. That's, that's, a, that's a reality. But 
I would I would say this delay or no delay order now, because I'm, I can only expect that as things escalate, as more cities start declaring emergencies, the delay eventually there's not going to be an order process at all. You're just not going to get it. So you can still get it with a delay. Maybe you might get it sooner than you expect to say only around 80 percent of people. So you might be in that 20 percent that gets this stuff really, really quickly. Go to the store, buy some water, do what you got to do. I'm hoping that once this all does blow over, we can go back to arguing about the silliness of whether or not Bernie Sanders was right to, to uh, praise the literacy program of Cuba. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. at youtube.com slash Timcast. That is a different channel. And I will see you all there. Project Veritas recently released a sting on an ABC News political correspondent, and he has been suspended for remarks he made. And I'm seeing a lot of people say, I, I don't understand why this guy would, would be suspended for simply giving his opinion. I mean, yeah, he's an avowed socialist who says it in no uncertain terms, but everyone's allowed to have their opinions. Yes, they are. He is a socialist. I get it. Journalists have opinions. But what he was saying, what, as, my, as my understanding, was in a professional setting. I know it was supposed to be a private conversation, but I believe there was good reason to suspend this guy. I also recognize, look, a lot of people are going to speak off the cuff, even when they're doing work functions, thinking they're in private, when they probably shouldn't. But this time the dude got caught and Project Veritas has exposed basically what we already knew, but needed, we needed some proof, right? So I'll put it this way. When I saw the story from Project Veritas, I was like, yup, we all knew it. But you off, as much as you might infer or assume this must be true, hearing it straight from the horse's mouth, for instance, gives us a better insight into what's going on. It actually, well, it, it might confirm our bias, but it does confirm a lot of what we already assume to be the case. This guy in the Veritas sting was basically saying that if Trump does something good, they're not going to cover it. If Trump does something bad, they're going to cover it because all they're interested in is the outrage of the day. He then went on to say he was a socialist. So here you can see you've got a guy first disparaging his company, you know, saying the company does bad journalism, and that's the name of the game, and then asserting extreme political preferences that are going to show the network has potential bias. Let's read the story from ABC. I'm sorry, from Fox News. And then I've, I want, what, I, what I want to show you is I've got a Reddit thread where people are like, I just don't understand this, and they're talking about it. I want to actually answer some of these comments made by the layman, people who don't understand how the news works and why this is actually it's fairly important. The guy probably should be suspended and moved off the beat. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend like this guy's the devil or anything. I mean, when Project Veritas exposed the Bernie Sanders supporters that were saying violent stuff, it's like, it's like yeah, that we understand. Those dudes were nuts. This guy's a dude speaking off the cuff. He shouldn't be doing it. He's got, he got suspended. He's going to be relocated. His job's fine. So I'm not going to pretend like Veritas just exposed the greatest scandal in the history of the world. But I still appreciate the fact that a lot of the things I have said are being backed up now by other journalists. And unfortunately, many of them refuse to go on the record. So if it takes a Project Veritas sting, my sympathies to David. But look, if you're one of these people working in media, you know exactly what I know, what David knows, and you need to just say it. But of course, the response from ABC is exactly why they don't want to do it. They'd rather get their paycheck. I'll trade the story from Fox News to say ABC News suspends David Wright, for remarks made in Project Veritas video. Wright was disciplined after higher-ups at ABC News reviewed footage in which Wright describes himself as a socialist and appears to criticize the network for the way in which it chooses to present the news. I feel terrible about it. I feel that the truth suffers. The voters are poorly informed. 
And people also have the opportunity to tune into whatever they want to hear, Wright said in the video, which also features an ABC News producer. And so it's like there's no upside or our bosses don't see an upside in doing the job we're supposed to do, which is to speak truth to power and hold people accountable. Let me stop you right there, everybody. You see, this dude's an avowed socialist. When he says we're not doing the right thing, I'm assuming he's saying the company isn't doing as bad as they should. Here's a guy who sounds very much so like he's extremely biased for the far left, and he's angry they're not speaking truth to power the way they're supposed to be doing it. What do you think that means? Right? If, if, if a moderate individual said it, you'd think they'd ex- you'd expect him to call it the left and the right. When a socialist says it, it's because he thinks they're not calling out Trump in the far right. You see what I mean? So it's probably right that after all this, he would get suspended. He goes on to say, I would consider myself a socialist. Like, I think there should be national health insurance. I'm totally fine with reigning in corporations. I think there's too many billionaires and I think there's a wealth gap. That's a problem. That's not socialism. This guy is also, in my opinion, is being suspended for something else. He has no idea what he's talking about. Socialism is seizing the means of production so that the government controls what in what is produced and how it's produced. What he's talking about is standard social policy, right? Yeah, you're a liberal dude. So here's what I want to do. Okay, we get it. They go on to talk about stuff. He disparages the president. We know he's got a hard bias. I want to show you some of these comments from people on Reddit and address how the public actually, you know, talks about the news. Before I do, however, I want to give a quick shout out to my friends over at Virtual Shield. I don't often do sponsor spots, but Virtual Shield has been there for me for a long time. So I, I, I often do some spots for Virtual Shield because they're awesome. Virtual Shield is a virtual private network service, which means you, when you use it, it's a program that gives you basic security for your web browsing. So if there's someone trying to spy on you, maybe download your data without your permission, it makes it much, much harder to do. The way I always describe it is, you know, we don't expect people to break into our houses. We still lock the door, right? If you're operating without a VPN or any other basic security, you're basically leaving your front door unlocked. Go to hidewithtim.com. The link is in the description below. They've got 24% off right now, $3.79 per month. Uh, again, I don't normally do uh, sponsor spots, but Virtual Shield has literally been with me since I started, and I, I greatly respect their uh, willingness to help out my channel. So if you're looking for a virtual private network service, they can do awesome stuff. They can help you with browsing foreign countries. They can typically just provide you that basic level of security, makes it harder for hackers and government you know, actors to try and get into your private business. So again, hidewithtim.com. But let's get back to Reddit and see what's going on. And, and one more time, this 24% off. My, my thanks to Virtual Shield. Seriously, I mean it. The first, someone asked this question in the Reddit thread. I sincerely would like to know how any single person thinks these comments should lead to a suspension. I get that he insulted Disney, the big boy overlords, but like, what do they expect from their anchors that nobody has independent thoughts? The response is, media companies for a long time have had a strict toe the line policy for many decades probably even longer. Saying anything that criticizes the company a journalist works for is seen as undermining the credibility of the, of the reporting and giving its competitors a talking point and can risk the organization losing access to interviews and other information. In reality, if news sources were to work hard to ensure actual reporting, this wouldn't be an issue, and it would actually improve their credibility if they took these criticisms and, pub- uh, and, and publicly acknowledged and worked to fix them. The next person responded, I mean, if he publicly admonished, I'm sure, but good God, does every company think that their employees only say nice things in private? No. First of all, the dude got caught. That's kind of a big issue. I mean, let's be honest. I worked for these companies. I've seen the media bias and you can see it now plain as day. I feel bad for this guy because he's just telling the truth. But my question would be, why don't you tell the truth on camera? 
When this guy does a report, you know what you you know what we're learning from this and why, you know, typically I'm not going to pretend like Project Veritas is perfect. I think you're a fool if you did, but they do good work for the most part. And while this and many other stories have done, some of the stories are really, really big and important, like exposing Bernie Sanders presidential campaign. I think it's very important. This one isn't the most important, but it shows us that when you turn on that TV, when you see that anchor talking to you, they're not telling you the truth. They're not saying this to you. When have you ever turned on CNN, ABC, or even Fox News and heard an anchor say, by the way, our outlet typically doesn't allow us to report the good things Trump does. They only make us report the outrage of the day. You don't hear it. You only hear it because James O'Keefe and Veritas go undercover and record this. And that's when you get reality. It's why people like YouTube, because I'm saying it as it is, right? I try to the best of my abilities, but I'll even be completely honest to you and say what they would be unwilling to say. There are some things I can't say. It's YouTube. And, and most of you probably know this. There are some stories I can't talk about. Every time I talk about that, you know, what's happened over there in China and spreading around the world, I can't even say the word because if I do, YouTube hard demonetizes the content. That means it even, it, it, it even gets suppressed to a certain degree. So yeah, that's a reality we all deal with. As an independent creator, I can tell you all of these things, but these people won't say it. They get suspended if they do. And that bums me out. So I think there's good reason from a business perspective to actually suspend the guy. But I want you to think about this. Every time you turn on cable TV news or local network news, what they're telling you is the approved message, not real, not real truth. You're not getting the facts. You're getting what's gone through the filter. And often these people, when they go to stories, they pre-write, they pre-write a narrative. Look at that guy from NBC who claimed the Second Amendment rally in, in Virginia was a white nationalist rally. They write down what their story is, show up, and then try and fill in the gaps to claim it's true. It's a lie. You see the way I used to go about it? I don't, I don't go on the ground as much because, to be completely honest, the, the, the more recognition you gain, the more dangerous it becomes. So I've, I've slowed down, and now I hire other people, essentially, work with other people who do it. I would go down and say, I have no idea what's happening. I'll tell you after it happens. But so many of these journalists, like ABC, will say, hey, we've got a big protest downtown. They're socialists. Go find some socialists and ask, and, and ask why they're far left socialists. And they go down there and they completely ignore all of the other people. They, they ignore the conservatives. They ignore the moderates. They ignore Democrats, Republicans. They look for the one thing and say, boom, that's what it is. And when you turn on TV, you'll never hear this. That's why he got suspended. They're cogs in the machine. They do toe the line. It's part of how the machine operates. This next comment says, Wright didn't appear to say much of anything wrong, more just criticize the network's focus on disposable news cycle. Even though he described himself as a socialist who would personally like to see universal health care. What's wrong with that? Journalists can have opinions. And he said that if anything, the network is unfair to Trump and intentionally neglects to report on Trump's successes. That's the issue. That's exactly why he got suspended. Yeah, he shouldn't have been suspended to a certain degree. From a business point, I get it. I really, really do. Especially if he's going to undermine their coverage. But I, I also feel like he told the truth, you know. He, uh, he pulled the mask off. Oh yeah, what's that? Trump did something good? Why would we report that? And there you go. So it's funny to me when people say Tim's biased. I'm like, no, the difference is when you watch cable TV news, they're wearing their happy face mask. That's, that's, it's fake. It's a fake depiction of reality. Orange man bad, they say. It's all NPC masks. Behind the scenes, they'll tell you the truth and they'll get fired if they do. Well, he got suspended. He's being relocated. It's fine. I don't think it's that big of a deal. But you turn on, you come to my YouTube channel I'm going to tell you, I'm going to say it like it is. 
you know, look, Trump's got faults, but he is he is decimating Democrats. They're in chaos, it's panic mode all across the board. And he's going to win. He's going to win a re-election. That's how it looks. The media doesn't want to tell you that because they don't want to appear biased. So they end up becoming extremely biased. And then, of course, people come on YouTube and say, Tim must be biased because the news had something else. I don't have to tell you, man. But look, I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, once again, I'll give a shout out to Veritas. And I, I want to say something about, about one last thing. This is by no means the most important story ever covered. But I'm really glad that Veritas is still doing these kind of stories. Because you know that James O'Keefe and Veritas, they go into presidential campaigns. It's really high level national stuff. That's going to have a serious impact on the election. It was one of the most engaged with stories in the country. When you see this, it's just one correspondent speaking off the cuff, but it is really, really important because as much, as I stated earlier, as much about, as, as much as we all think we know, they talk like this behind the scenes, Veritas just pulled that mask off. This is not going to change a presidential election. It's not going to get a politician fired. This, the president of ABC won't be stepping down, but now you can see it. When you turn on those channels and they talk, they are drones speaking from a script. And this is what they really think. Something totally different. So I'm glad we can see it because I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll quote John Stewart. Journalists, where are you? When Veritas did the acorn thing, what a decade ago, John Stewart said, where are you? If this guy can pull this off, where are you? Now you know where they are. They won't speak the truth because they'll get suspended if they do. So it's gonna, you're going to have to rely on um, watching as much as you can, but uh, I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up in just a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. A progressive woman was mocked, they say, because she claimed she is suffering from pro- post-traumatic stress disorder due to Hillary Clinton losing in 2016. Now, I'll give you a moment to laugh as hard as you possibly can, and now that you've let out a good laugh, we'll continue. These people are serious. These people actually have some kind of Trump derangement syndrome. They've called it Trump anxiety disorder. Now, it's probably not PTSD, but I think, you know, our, our, these, the current generations we have from, you know, we've got some boomers, a lot of Gen Xers, and almost every millennial. Okay, not almost every, but a ton of millennials are dainty, delicate flowers, and you say a naughty word and they shrivel up like the Wicked Witch of the West. Ah, help me. Donald Trump loses and their whole world. Sh- I'm sorry. Hillary Clinton loses and their whole world shatters into a million pieces there. It's it's four years later and they're still crying about it. You know what I did after Trump won? I laughed. And then I think I like hung out with some friends, had pizza and and and, and, and mind you, back then I was like a, I was I was a big, big Bernie supporter. But I also, mind you, Bernie in 2016 held the same views on immigration that I hold today. We need border security. We need to protect the workers, all this stuff, opposing the trade agreements, all this stuff he's kind of flip-flopped on for whatever reason. But anyway, the point is, I was, I was anything but a Trump supporter, but I'm also not a crazy person. 21, I just laughed. I'm like, hey, well, there you go, right? Tomorrow's going to come. The sun's not going to explode. The moon is not going to crash into earth. You're going to wake up. You're going to go get a scone and a cup of coffee, and you're going to sit there, and life will be fine. Apparently, no one ever told these people that, because this woman is now claiming she has PTSD. All right, let me remind my friends who served overseas that your suffering, your PTSD, exists because the, neo, the, the nasty neoliberal lady couldn't win an election. Pluralist reports. 
The founder of a progressive pro-immigrant organization was roundly mocked on social media over the weekend after claiming she continued to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder because of Hillary Clinton's defeat in the 2016 presidential election. Sayu Bajwani, a a democracy activist who served as New York City's first commissioner on immigrant affairs, tweeted out a message of support for Senator Elizabeth Warren on Saturday that included her diagnosis of the psychological factors dampening the public's enthusiasm for the 2020 hopeful. No way. She's actually arguing that Elizabeth Warren can't get support because everyone's suffering from PTSD. She tweeted, what did she say? Here's a quote. A lot of us saw our hopes for a strong, competent woman president dashed in 2016, and we still have PTSD. I think that's holding us back from supporting Warren publicly. I've been in so many rooms where women are saying they love Warren, but they're cautious and guarded, of course. We had our hearts broken in 2016 and are scared of another heartbreak. You know what, man? I'm actually offended. I am triggered by this. Women have fought long and hard for their rights, the right to vote, to have you come out and say women are too scared to vote because the other lady lost. Is that how you're going to handle every single defeat? Whenever the woman you want can't win, the woman that you want to win can't, you, you shrivel up and say, we just give up, we surrender. How are you ever going to win an election if that's the case? Clearly, people like Klobuchar and Warren are being voted for by men, too. So you can certainly stand up and say, no, nah, I'm going to pick the person I want regardless. But is, is, is that what you're saying? Are you saying the only reason you're supporting Bernie is because you're scared and you have to? Because the Bernie bros, maybe? Man, this, this, this lady gives women a bad name. The president and founder of New American Leaders, an organization that trains immigrants to run for office, continued advocating for Warren in a series of additional tweets. Warren's racial justice lens is stronger than any candidate we have to choose from, she declared. Her cabinet will be thoughtful and qualified and experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care about Elizabeth Warren. She's not going to win. She's going to drop out. Numerous users criticized Bajwani, who appears on her organization's website in a photo with militant progressive Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Oh, I like they added militant to that, please for elevating her disappointment with 2016 election to the level of PTSD, a debilitating condition often associated with survivors of war and sexual and physical abuse. Some PTSD sufferers replied to Bajwani. This, this woman says her handle is this handle kills fascist rats. So clearly she's on the left. But as you know, the left likes eating each other because there's no meal better than a leftist when you are a leftist. I have PTSD from years of severe physical abuse at the hands of my ex-husband, who I was forced to stay with because I couldn't afford health care, child care, and would become homeless with my three children if I left. And yes, all of that happened when I finally did. But go off, I guess. You see, in order to survive as a leftist, you have to have as many victimization points as possible. They hand out little cards and you get a little clicker and you click, 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 stamp. I'm joking, by the way. But Bajwani is saying, I have PTSD because she needs to be a victim. Well, this other woman needs to be a victim more. So she criticizes her neoliberal friend there. Here's one. How is it possible that there are so many Warren supporters on the site who have no regard for survivors of abuse or trauma? Tweeted a writer, Carrie Hernandez. You do not have PTSD from seeing a woman lose an election. That's not what PTSD is. Here, here. One Twitter user's response to Bajwani remarks went viral, gaining nearly 20,000 likes. You do not have PTSD because of an election. Get a grip. This is actually insulting to people who deal with real PTSD and is worse than Bernie bros just tweeting drop out at Warren posts. Imagine being so far removed from reality 
that you have the gall to compare your disappointment at your preferred candidate's loss to checks notes, the crippling trauma that abuse victims and people living in war-torn countries endure every day. I'll tell you what PTSD is. So when you get back from Afghanistan and you're hanging out with your friends and a car backfires and you have a panic attack, it's things like that. It's when you're the survivor of physical abuse and you were beaten by your your ex-husband or boyfriend or wife for years and no one would believe you or support you. And then one day someone comes up to you and grabs you on the shoulder and you have a panic attack. That's PTSD. Not the, 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 the old neoliberal lady didn't win the election and Donald Trump won. And now I'm in my room shaking, quivering that I can't publicly support Elizabeth Warren because Clinton lost. What kind of logic is this? These people are nuts. Here's one. This person tweeted, I have PTSD. It causes extreme bouts of memory loss for me. Physical pain that I deal with constantly. A sense of paranoia and close relationships. And it caused me to feel intense dissociation and separation from my body. That sounds like extreme PTSD. Bojwani, for her part, appeared to concede that she could have chosen her words more carefully, as one commenter suggested. She, uh, someone said the flippant use of PTSD is a euphemism for strong, undesirable memories. <laughs> Downplays those clinically diagnosed with PTSD. She says, fair critique. What I really love about this, for the most part, is that everyone thinks they're the qualified expert on being a victim and they're tearing each other apart. It's like, if you have a culture where people always desperately want to be the best of the best, they never want to admit victimization or fault. So they'll say, not me, I'm strong, I'll win. That tends to be more on the conservative side. Not always. Certainly there are conservatives who complain about, you know, being victims sometimes, but typically, you know, for the most part, rejecting of this. The left, however, thrives off this. So I think about how people say, the culture war is between left or right or globalist versus nationalist, libertarian, authoritarian. Let me just add, it's also a divide between people who desperately need to be victims and people who desperately want to be heroes. Not everybody on the right wants to be a hero, mind you, but they typically want to be seen as strong and independent. And people on the left desperately want to be seen as pathetic and weak. Talk about not succeeding. Well, they don't want to succeed. For every gain that they've made, for all the advantages and goals the progressives had, have, have succeeded in, in the United States with, with the civil rights movement and the gay rights movement, LGBTQ rights, they pretend like they're losing. Because if at any point they actually say, well, you know, we won this one, they lose their victim points. So they claim that because Hillary Clinton lost, they have PTSD. They fight with the person who says it because how dare you diminish those with PTSD? Welcome to the modern left. It's probably why they're shrinking. It's probably why, why last night at the Democratic debate, all you heard was a cacophony of blah, 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 as everyone yelled over each other and the moder- moderators couldn't get a grip because they don't know what, that, what they're doing either. No one has any idea what's going on. The only thing that anyone can agree on left and right is that Trump seems to be winning. So if you're mad that Hillary Clinton lost and you're going to play this game, you've not learned a damn thing. Trump derangement syndrome. Ah, we will end this by talking about the great Trump derangement syndrome. They say, Ill-chosen as Bajwani's words may have been, there is some evidence that the deleterious effects of so-called Trump derangement syndrome are real. In 2018, therapists indicated a rise in what they unofficially diagnosed as Trump anxiety disorder. Clinical psychologist Jennifer Panning, who was credited with originally coining the term, described the symptoms of Trump anxiety disorder in a 2017 essay as worrying about the state of the country feeling helpless and out of control and spending too much time on social media. Let me just say too much time on Twitter. You will actually get some kind of anxiety disorder. It's not PTSD. Calm down. And what you need to do is turn the phone off, delete Twitter, 
stuff your phone under your mattress and go for a walk. Go get yourself a nice Italian ice, okay? Well, it's not super warm out yet, but if you're somewhere warm, a nice little lemon ice. And just sit on a bench, look up at the sky, look, look, up, look up at the sky, look at some birds. Oh, I got one. Go to the store, buy some nuts, throw them at squirrels. It's really funny. The squirrels pick them up, they'll eat them. Isn't that something? How many of these people have forgotten that the outside world exists and that you are a tiny speck in an indifferent universe? And no, the orange man is not the worst problem you've ever faced. Currently around the world, slavery still exists, mind you. And those people have PTSD. So please get over yourselves. The election is coming up. And if you get your head out of your rear end for even a few minutes, you might actually get your head straight enough to figure out how to win against the guy you don't like. But if you're going to sit here and claim you have PTSD because Trump won, then clearly you don't have what it takes to actually defeat the guy in the first place. So please go cower in your bedroom and let the adults run the show. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes and I will see you all shortly. This one you have to see to believe. Let me let me first read you the title. My boyfriend's wedding dress unveiled my own shortcomings over masculinity. Okay. Have you ever seen the meme where you say something like my wife's boyfriend, my wife's boyfriend's son? They'll be like, well, my wife's boyfriend's son was at school today. Yes, this is the meme incarnate. A story of a woman who actually took a photo of her, I guess her her boyfriend skiing in her wedding dress, effeminately cheering when he found the right dress he wants to wear. And guess what she says? She really just wants a masculine guy. And she actually describes the guy from the brawny paper towel role. Remember that guy? You get the paper towels, you got the guy, he's got the big broad shoulders and wearing flannel tucked into his blue jeans. I think he had an ax over his shoulder. This classical depiction of masculinity. That's what she really wanted. Oh, am I surprised at all? No, of course not. What's really sad about this story though, is that she desperately tries to justify why she likes a guy who effeminately cheers for finding a dress. And then she talks about how when they're hooking up, she had to pull his dress off and it was like not a thing she liked. What's weird is the cult-like desire or need for these people to suppress how they really feel. Live your life. Stop being part of a cult. No one can tell you what to do. And if you don't like a dude because he wears a dress, it's fine if he wants to wear the dress, but go date somebody else. She's complaining because her ex-boyfriend was emotionally shallow. Sure, I understand that too. But man, did the pendulum swing so far in the other direction that you now sound weird. Look, you want to complain about your boyfriend because he's shallow and he doesn't have emotions, no depth, and he can't, you know, talk to you about how you feel. You go find a nice regular guy. You don't swing all the other direction and find the guy who wants to put on a dress. But let's read the story and see what's really going on. She writes, I'm quick to blame men for their toxic behavior. But in this case, I, the woman, was part of the problem. You see, as she goes on and writes, she talks about how internally she does not find it attractive when her boyfriend wears a dress. But that's toxic masculinity too. And she needs to get over those feelings and accept that she has an effeminate boyfriend giggling at wearing a dress. My gaze scanned the colorful racks of clothing and stopped abruptly on something I'd never expected to see. My boyfriend was clutching a wedding dress that he wanted to buy for himself. Emily, he cried with victorious glee, I've found the one. Ian thrust the white garment into the air like a NASCAR trophy. Its lace sleeves sashayed from the tapered bodice and fluffy toll grazed the dirty tiles of the thrift store floor. A smile stretched across Ian's scruffy face and his blue eyes danced with the giddy excitement of a bride saying, I do. Oh, wow, I managed to spit out. I got to stop. Give you a caveat. 
I absolutely do not care if the guy wants to wear a dress. In fact, more power to you, man. When I was younger, I used to wear crazy punk rock clothes. You know, we'd put on like a suit jacket and a loose tie and wear skin tight black jeans and skate around looking like morons. And it was fun. And it was what I was into. And if you want to do it, man, do your thing. Don't let anybody tell you you can't be who you want to be. That's for damn sure. Now, my problem here isn't so much with this non-traditional, non, you know, non-traditional, non-traditional gender role relationship. It's more so the fact that there's anguish in her, in her story about how there's something she clearly does want, but for cult-like reasons is suppressing this and, and, and staying in a relationship that clearly weirds her out. She's acknowledging how it makes her feel bad and then tries justifying how she has to accept what she doesn't want for the cult. That to me is what's wrong with this. At the end of the day, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to interfere in your relationship. You do whatever it is you want in the privacy of your own home. You want to go skiing with a dude in the dress? My only real critique is going to be, it sounds pretty dangerous to wear a dress when you're skiing. Maybe you get your feet tangled up, my fall and get hurt. If you, want, you can do whatever you want. What I'm really seeing here is a woman who does not like this. And instead of saying, hey, you know, I'm not really into this, she's just going to bend the knee to this cult-like freaky ideology. We were at Goodwill searching for dresses to wear during the annual Mother's Day climb up Mount St. Helens, a decades-long tradition in which everyone scaling the volcano that day sports flowing garments in honor of female mountaineers and mothers everywhere. I knew Ian would be among the most outrageous on the mountain. My boyfriend is aggressively fun and a flair fanatic, which I find wildly attractive on most occasions, like when he's scaling technical slopes in jorts and a cat shirt or skiing the steepest lines in the Pacific Northwest in space tights. But I found myself unexpectedly uneasy with his new fondness for feminine frocks, a reaction that challenged the progressive ideals I'd prided myself on for decades. I'd long thought I was contributing to a progressive shift in how we define masculinity, finally allowing men to be emotional and vulnerable or to ask for help or to hug their male friends or to wear dresses. You live in a crazy bubble world, lady. Dude, I grew up with a bunch of punk Rocky Kai and skateboarders. Guess what? We hugged. It's like a normal thing, dude. People, guys hug. Like, what is this? Does she, it's, it's like they've created a caricature of reality. This, this weird progressive far left worldview must come from some strange clone lab where these people have never interacted. I'll tell you what, you know what I do typically when I see a friend, a dude I haven't seen in a while. It's like we shake hands and then we lean in for a hug. It's like, Hey buddy, how you doing? We give a quick hug. Like, <laughs> and, and guess what? When, when there's, when there's like pain and problems or like a loss, but my, my buddy's dog dies, I come in, I give him a hug. It's, it's not, a, it's like, listen, I'll tell you what, I think I know what it is. When you're surrounded by these weird effeminate types, these male feminist types, they're the socially awkward ones. Men who are charismatic and confident don't care what you think about them hugging someone else. And the reason why guys like that aren't going to cry is not because it's a conspiracy to tell boys not to cry. It's because they're stoic or in control of their emotions. They're stable. They think there's a time and a place for crying. That time is not now. I cried. I've cried a lot. When my dog died, you better believe I cried for like a week straight. You know why? It felt good. I missed my dog and it was sad. Had the dog for, a, for, for 14 or so years. And when his time finally came, it was painful. But there was a time and a place for crying. Not every guy is going gonna, is gonna to not cry. Not every, you know, guys typically tend not to cry. Women tend to cry more than men. But these people live in this strange, stereotypical feminist version of reality where they think all guys are joking about raping women or doing other ridiculous guy things, smacking butts. This is not the case. I once had a woman friend of mine, someone I knew, 
we were sitting down for coffee and she goes, be honest with me, Tim. Like how many of your guy friends like are cool with rape? And I was like, what? This was when I worked at Fusion, right? The feminist outlet, the progressive far left. They went under, by the way. I, this is a true story. I kid you not. I was like, are you, are you joking? Zero. She goes, really? Like none of them? Come on. And I'm like, what do you mean? What world do you live in? I was like, dude, if me and my friends were sitting around and some dude started bragging about rape, we'd probably kick him out. We'd be like, dude, that is not cool. Like, are you, are you being serious right now? And if the dude started bragging and, and like admitted to something, we'd probably call the cops on him or something like that. That's, that's shocking to me. I hang out with a bunch of dudes who jump off buildings, skateboarding, break their bones, twist their legs, tear, tear their cartilage up. These guys are, are, are the like opposite of, of sissies. They're ridiculous. They're tough. They're chiseled. They take risks for fun. They jump off buildings for fun. Skateboard- I'm not kidding. Skateboarders jump off buildings for fun, if you didn't know that. Jumping off massive stairs at sliding down railings. Yeah, they're, they're pretty independent, tough, and, and calm individuals. And no, we wouldn't settle for this. But this woman lived in that world. When I worked for Fusion, you're surrounded by nothing but these people who all believe in this paranoid, delusional state. And she actually asked me that. And I told her, I was like, dude, I was like, I'm sorry, man. I think if you really believe that, like, that's nuts. Now, I'm sure there are groups of guys that do that. They're called rapists, okay? Most guys aren't that. In fact, I would actually argue most guys' power fantasy is to save women from abuse, from a villain who would do them wrong. That's like what every single Disney movie is about. Okay, not every single one, but many of them. The heroic man comes to save the woman. He gets down on one knee and he takes her by the hand and gives her what she wants, saving her from the evil villain who's going to kidnap her so he could force her to marry him. I don't know where, where this idea comes from, but it's clearly a paranoid reality where you can, you, you can have all of this bit of our, every bit of our culture. They're, like they're, they're, they actually, these feminists criticize video games because of the male power fantasy of rescuing the damsel in distress, but then also believe the male power fantasy is to sit around behind, behind the scenes gloating about how they are the villains who take advantage of women. Nah, y'all are just nuts. So anyway, that conversation with her wrapped up with her being like, oh, I don't know, I guess. And I'm just like, I can't believe this how these people really think. Which brings me back to this lady who was uh, unhappy. She says her boyfriend giggled. Isn't it beautiful? His chest hair battled the sheer neckline. I imagined him skiing down Mount St. Helens in the lengthy rag, concealing his chiseled calves and hardened blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to read this over and over again. She says, well, uh, this is not the first time I felt my, found myself a little uncomfortable with the sight of Ian in women's wear. It's not an unusual sight to spot him sporting a skirt, dress, or sarong at a party, picnic, or trailhead. He uses his unconventional apparel as a display of his individuality. No, that's a cheap attempt at individuality. You see, people who are calm and confident don't care what they wear because they feel it inside. They don't need to make sure everyone else knows how unique they are. That's called peacocking. Like when a guy shows up to a party wearing a dress or like binoculars. Yeah, they're desperate for attention because they lack self-esteem and confidence. Basically, she goes on to say that she was really looking for a guy. Actually, she says flannel. Let me see if I can pull this up. There you go. These feelings illuminated some of the unanticipated boundaries of where I define attractiveness in men. And when I still crave traditional masculinity, I realized I wanted less dress and more flannel shirts, trucker hats, and sandstone Carhartts. When we left the store that day, Ian had a big bundle of, of wedding dress, and I had some big questions to consider. Yeah, about how about you, you date someone who you actually like and stop adhering to these insane things that make you feel bad and question who you are. Be true to yourself. 
Or you can do this. Like this Arwa Madawi says, masculinity is a trap, which is why more, more men should wear skirts. You know what, man? I about had it with all this nonsense. Listen, I don't understand how you can simultaneously argue that traditional gender roles are a bad thing. You personally prefer men who have a traditional masculine gender role and then say, even though traditional gender roles don't matter, you should dress in a traditional feminine gender role. Um, You know what, man? I'm so over this. Listen, lady, I'll tell you what. You want to date the dude at the end and she says, I promise I'm attracted to him. That makes me sound like you don't actually think you're attracted to the guy and you're pretending because you feel bad because you've been indoctrinated into this weirdo's progressive world of men wearing dresses. If in reality, you are personally attracted to dudes wearing dresses, I got no beef. I have absolutely no concern whatsoever with her dating a guy who wears a dress or a guy wearing a dress. I got no problem, man. Like I said, I used to wear really, really weird clothes. And as I always say, if you want to dress up like a clown and walk down the street juggling bananas, I got no beef at all. It's when you start throwing the bananas at people, I got a problem with you. In this instance, let me make it clear and I'll wrap this up. She clearly is not attracted to this. She wrote an article about it. She's pretending to like it for social justice brownie points. Dude, if you want to date a guy who's wearing a flannel, you know, trucker hat, then go date it or tell your boyfriend, take off the damn dress, put on a trucker hat or just keep it to yourself, I guess. I don't know, whatever. No, I shouldn't say that. Look, I get it. You can, you can express yourself. Good for you on justifying your attraction to a guy you claim you're not attracted to. Whatever. I'm done. How about just do what you want to do? If you, if, if, if you want to date somebody who wears dresses, just go do it. But clearly you don't, and you're pretending. I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you guys tomorrow at 10 a.m. and podcast at 6.30.